Welcome to episode number four of the Juhu Roadshow podcast, On Ramp. On Ramp is a uh, supplementary podcast that we're doing in conjunction with my primary podcast, which is the Juhu Roadshow, which you can find exclusively on patreon.com forward slash Juhu. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash Juhu. The, uh, the On Ramp podcast that you're listening to now is... is um, Really, just some background on on who I am and and what uh, you know what I've done that's led me to this point and you know why in the hell you would want to listen to my podcast on Patreon to begin with. Um, the the shows that we do on Patreon are um, typically with one or more special guests, um, athletes, musicians, artists, uh, you know, just fun, interesting people. Some celebrities, some not. And this is to this on ramp podcast is just to give you some background on on who I am and and why I have a show and why I'm talking to these people, how I've met them, um, and and we'll get into all of that as this as this particular podcast progresses. Um, you know these first these first few episodes are really just some background on where I came from. Very interesting um, childhood growing up in the, in the world of horse racing and traveling around. And, and, uh, the first three episodes, we kind of covered most of that and, and, you know, where, uh, where things are with people important in my life and, and who I grew up with. Um, but now in episode four, we're going to talk today about kind of what happened. Um, my parents split in 1981 um, and went different directions. And, and we, again, we've talked about this in the previous podcast. You can catch up on a lot of that stuff in, in my documentary, The Speed of Orange, which is about my family. Um, very, It's a great film. I love that film. I'm proud of that film. The thing about The Speed of Orange, as a side note, is that, you know, um, all the other films I did, uh, you know, American Meth and, and Absent and... Uh, far too far, and then my latest film, Addicted to Porn, Chasing the Cardboard Butterfly. Those all kind of had a social message, and and um, were meant to um, help people see things in a new light. Whereas this one is, uh, The Speed of Orange is just more of a personal story that I I had to tell and I wanted to tell, and I'm super glad that I got to tell it. So uh, if you get a chance to check it out. Uh, you absolutely should. So uh, to pick up kind of where we left off, uh, you know, my parents went in different directions and, and um, I grew up uh, in a lot of different places around the United States, Florida and lots of different places in Texas and Colorado and New Mexico. Uh, my dad settled in New Mexico in 1985 or 84, actually, in, the, in Farmington and then eventually in Bloomfield, New Mexico. Uh, that's in the Four Corners area. Um, now I'm trying to think, you know, frame of reference for folks. Um, if you've ever heard of Durango, Colorado, where Farmington is about 45 minutes south of that, um, it's about two hours north of Albuquerque, northwest of Albuquerque. So that's kind of the area that I grew up in when I spent time with my dad. I went back and forth every three months between my mom and dad, um, until eighth grade. Um, and then, uh, when I was with my mom, my mom was, you know, we were nomadic to begin with, um, but uh, my mom kind of continued that. A lot of that had to do with my stepdad working in the oil and gas industry. And so we moved around quite a bit, Louisiana, Houston, Texas, El Paso, Texas. Um, I'm trying to think of where else we went, um, but uh, lots of different places and lots of different unique people. 
uh, and uh, um, all kinds of unique family and 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 uh, I love Louisiana. I love spending time there. I was uh, um, I always enjoyed going and 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 spending time with my mom in in Louisiana. I love the people there. I love the food there. Um, very very interesting people there. Um, I remember one time, this is a really disturbing story, but, um, we lived, I grew up in a lot of trailer parks as a young kid. So go ahead and insert your redneck jokes there. I'm fine with that. Um, but we lived in one trailer park in, in, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. And, uh, my stepdad and I, Joey and I, uh, the landlord, his name was Adam something. I, I, I can't remember his last name. And even if I knew it, I probably wouldn't say it out loud. Um, he lived next door to us and he was kind of the, the landlord of the trailer park. And, uh, my, he, he always told my, my stepdad, he always told Joey, Hey, anytime you need a tool or anything, you know, just come over and, and get it out of my shed. It's no problem. So we were working on something and Joey, Joey needed, um, a tool. So we went over there and as we got closer to the shed, there was a real weird sound coming from the shed. And, um, Joey reached to open the shed and I shit you not, just as he started to open the shed, this dude, Adam came flying out of there, um, pants. He was trying to, trying to button up his pants as quickly as he could. And their little dog came hauling ass out of there as well. So I will let you draw your own conclusions on what was happening in that tool shed. But needless to say, we didn't borrow any more tools and Adam didn't invite us over to borrow those tools either. So that was, that was, oh my gosh. And to tell, to see Joey tell it, that was the best part. That dude was so funny at telling stories. Oh my goodness. That guy was hilarious. But, uh, yeah, some interesting times in Louisiana and Texas and Florida with my mom. And, um, you know, with, with her, my mom was the, my mom was kind of the, the one that pushed the artistic stuff, um, I always wanted to be an actor when I was younger and, um, both of my uncles on my mom's side, my uncle Bud and my uncle Audie were both stuntmen, which was really cool. Um, they were both in, uh, they were both in the, uh, the original Lone Ranger with like Christopher Lloyd. Um, they were stuntmen in that. My uncle Bud was a stuntman in Red Dawn, which is really cool. The old Pat, not the new one, the Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howell version of the eighties. Um, if you've ever watched Red Dawn, when the when the Russians land, um, they parachute down on the school, and the kids run out and get in that Volkswagen, and then the guy shoots up the Volkswagen. That's my uncle Bud, which is kind of neat. Uh, he was a bull rider too, uh, but uh, he's gone now actually, which is kind of sad. But they were both in movies, and I wanted to be in movies so bad when I was a kid. Wanted to be an actor, like more than you can possibly imagine. And I remember one time when we lived in Louisiana, my uncle Bud came out to see my mom. And uh, at that time, you know, G.I. Joe was a big cartoon. So I was really into G.I. Joe and my buddy. um, Oh, man, what was his name? Tyson, I think. My buddy Tyson uh, in Louisiana. He was he was big into it, too. So, you know, we'd watch. (laughs) I was thinking of the cartoons back then. We'd watch uh, like. Uh, we'd watch Inspector Gadget and we watched Thundercats and then we watched G.I. Joe. And and at that same time around then, I think, is when the movie Predator came out, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Predator. Um, and so, I mean, we were just big into war stuff, you know, and, and soldier stuff. And so my Uncle Bud came out and uh, 
my mom had a video camera, and so he said, oh, I'll help you guys make a movie. So we had all of our camo stuff, and we had our our weapons and everything, and then he um, he went and got a bunch of caro uh, caro uh, white white corn syrup, you know, the clear syrup. He got the syrup, and then he got some food coloring, and and it was it was just so cool, man. He made us his fake blood, and we made this movie in the yard, and we actually went out in some trees and shot some stuff, and and it was just so cool. And I ah, that's I wanted to be in the movies so bad, so bad. And my my mom kind of you know. She uh she pushed it a little bit. She encouraged it. That was uh, that was unique because that was the more realistic side of being in the movies. But my dad also brought movies into my life as well, but in a different fashion. Like sometimes my 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 dad uh Glenn, we all call him GH now, which I was trying to remember where GH came from and I think I actually got that from The Lady Killers, the Coen Brothers movie. His name was GH. Um Tom Hanks's character was named G.H., and I think I started calling my dad that. Now everybody calls him G.H. Anyhow, um, my dad, he, he didn't know how to communicate all that well all the time. Like, you know, he, he, uh, he loved me more than you could possibly imagine, but he, uh, he didn't know how to communicate all that well. So he would use scenes from movies to say things um, or tell me, you know, hey, you know, watch this, watch this scene and... and and it's funny, it took me a while to catch on, but then I started realizing that's how he's trying to, he's trying to tell me something. That's how he's, he's saying things. And so like these movies, like, you know, Jeremiah Johnson or the searchers or, uh, sometimes a great notion or, um, you know, cool hand Luke watching those movies are how I learned a lot of lessons in life. As a matter of fact, there's, there's a lesson that I still live by in my life that comes from cool hand Luke that, uh, um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen this film, and if not, I apologize, but I'm going to share this this scene. Uh, Paul Newman's in prison. Um, he's on a chain gang, and, and um, part of this, this prison is they work, you know, Monday through Friday, half a day Saturday, then they get Saturday afternoon off and Sunday off. And if you have any, if you have any beef with anybody, then you fight them on Saturday afternoon and you get it all squared away and then you're done. So there's this character played by George Kennedy, um, dragline, big old, big old Southern guy, you know, big old musclehead guy, uh, and uh, and Cool Hand Luke is played by Paul Newman, who I, I love. Paul Newman is one of my one of my all time favorites. But uh, dragline is is Kennedy's character, and he's he's tired of, well, he's tired of Luke. Luke makes him feel stupid because he he says things from time to time, and it makes him feel stupid. So dragline goes, you know, he defers to his only way of handling things which is we're going to fight so they they get they get to saturday afternoon and the rest of the the rest of the guys that are in the chain gang i think there's like 50 of them they all you know make the circle and luke is fighting dragline in the circle and dragline just beating the shit out of him he's just knocking him down time after time after time and everybody's kind of cheering at first but then pretty soon everybody's like oh ooh, ah you know and finally uh, he knocks Luke down again, and I mean he's getting he's getting the crap beat out of him pretty good. And these guys tell him, um, you know, just stay down, man, just stay down, just just stay down, and they'll stop it. And he gets back up and he goes back at Dragline. He throws this half-ass punch and you know barely taps him, and and Dragline punches him again. And anyways, after about six or seven times of this, he knocks him down again, and Dragline tells him, 
And he's, you know, just stay down. You're beat. And Luke kind of crawls up, you know, dirt all over his back and everything. And he's sweaty and bleeding everywhere. And he says, you're going to have to kill me first. And I've always kind of lived by that. I love that scene. And, and, you know, that's how life is. It'll just keep knocking you down and punch you in the face and punch you in the face, punch you in the face. And you keep getting knocked down, knocked down, knocked down. But you're going to have to kill me first before I stop getting back up. And the interesting thing about that and why I like the scene so much is it's Dragline that actually walks out of the circle first because he, I think, you know, he's he's humiliated and he doesn't want to keep knocking him down. But it just goes to show you just keep getting back up and fighting. And you never know what's going to happen. So that's oddly a lesson that I learned from my dad through a film. And so kind of coming from both sides, movies meant a lot to me. And so... Um, I knew at at kind of a young age that I, I always wanted to, to have something to do with movies. And, um, you know, as I, as I got older, my dad never really bought the whole acting thing. You know, my dad was a horseman and a cowboy and, and that just didn't, it wasn't on his radar. Um, my mom was cool with it and she tried to help, you know, she got, she enrolled me in some like some modeling things when we lived in Albuquerque when I was in eighth grade, which I just, you know, I'm doing these fashion shows and shit. And I just, it's kind of funny to think back on it. Now I thought it was super cool at the time. Um, But, uh, you know, I was trying, I was trying, but she just didn't know what to do. I mean, she had no idea what, you know, how to get me where I needed to be. And, and so, and then, and again, she tried again in uh, Houston, Texas, when I was a freshman, the summer of my freshman or eighth grade year, sorry, summer of my eighth grade year, uh, hired a, a photographer to take headshots and, and you know, um, almost got a part in the movie Eight Seconds. Um, and my photographer was Dolph Lundgren's photographer, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, and the guy, you know, took some cool photos and... and um, but nothing ever happened with it because we just didn't know what to do. And the agency that she was going to use actually turned out to be a bunch of scam artists. So, which is pretty typical in this business. Um, well, I won't go into the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, but uh, and <laughs> I don't mean that in the sense like I, I dealt with any kind of um, inappropriate behavior. But I'm just saying there's just a bunch. It's a sleazy business is my is my bottom line. There's, there's people that abuse power and there's people that rip you off and there's people that lie to you. And it's just, it's a tough business. Um, but, uh, my mom tried, she tried to encourage me to do it, um, up until, up until, you know, that summer. Uh, and then, um, my dad on the other hand was more of a, you know, that's cute, but you need to get a real job kind of thing. You need to think about getting a real job. So, um, actually my first real job was, oh, geez, I was 10, I think. Um, and it was at San Juan Downs in Farmington, New Mexico, it's, which is now Sunray Park. But it was, a, it, was a, it was the horse races in Farmington, New Mexico. And it, I was 10 years old, uh, 86, and I had a shoe shine stand. I, I shine shoes at the horse races. And, uh, you know, when it's... 1986, and you're nine or ten years old. I think maybe I was nine. I hadn't quite turned ten yet. You're nine years old in 1986, and you're making 200 bucks a weekend shining shoes. That's not bad. It's pretty good. I had a cool little system worked out too, man. Like I had, you know, I not just polish people's boots. 
No, 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 no. I would polish him, then I would take it to the next level. Uh, I had this, you know, this this black this black dye that I would put around the rim of the bottom of their boot to give it that little shine. And then I had a, a white chalk pencil because there's laces around the bottom. So I would, you know, I would chalk those. I mean, I'd, I'd make, I would make boots look badass. Like I, they were like, like little mirrors on your feet. And, um, I could pop that rag, man, like the Johnny Cash song, you know, I pop the crap out of that rag and make people's shoes look good. Good. And I did that for like, I don't know, three or four years, I guess. I saved up a lot of money. I saved up enough money shining shoes when I was nine that I bought my first car when I was 16 on my own. I've, I, I bought my own. I've bought every vehicle I've ever had, but I, I bought my own vehicle when I was 16 because of my shoes shining when I was nine and 10 and 11. Um, and so that was kind of my first job, um, uh, uh, shining shoes at at the racetrack, and it was it was really cool too because my shoe shine stand was right next to the concession stand, um, which was awesome to begin with. But then I got to be friends with the the you know the teenage girls that that uh, that ran the concession stand during the races, and of course you know I'm nine or ten years old. They think I'm this cute little blonde kid, and so they would let me come over. Now imagine being ten years old and having this freedom. They would let me come over and make slush puppies whenever I wanted, whatever kind I wanted. I mean, I they I, I made them myself. They would just give me free reign, so I'd go over and get a cup, and you know I can do blue or green or red or rainbow or I think we called it suicide. You know the suicide Slurpee or the hush pu- slush puppy or whatever it was. You know where you put every every flavor in there, and would and it just ends up being black, and then, and then your mouth is black the rest of the day. <laughs> so that's the kind of that's the kind of freedom I had at the concession stand, which was awesome. And then I I I started my my uh, early days of entrepreneurship, um, not only on the shoe side shoe sign <laughs> the shoe shine side, say that five times, but on the marketing side. Because remember earlier episodes, I told you about being a leading jockey and a leading trainer. Well, I sponsored in the program the horse racing program, a, the, 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 uh, the leaderboard. So it was the leading jockey and the leading trainer in Justin's leaderboard sponsored by Justin's shoeshine stand, which was pretty, you know, when you're 10 years old and you've got a thing in the, in the program at the races like that was pretty fun. So I miss those old days, man. That was such a good time. And then, you know, on the weekends, on the weekends, um, Every Sunday night at the races, I, I shit you not, every Sunday night at the races, um, you know, the races would get over about five uh, or six. And then every Sunday night, there was a dance up in the clubhouse because the grandstands are like three levels. There was a dance up in the clubhouse uh, every Sunday night. And every Sunday night, without fail, without fail, there would be a fight. Every Sunday night, the dance would end in a fight. And, you know, you're like, again, 10, 11 years old and you see everybody, you know, this fist fight break out and you just kind of stay out of the way. And then everybody goes home and you go back to work on, you know, everybody goes back to the racetrack early Monday morning and everything's cool. And then, you know, run the races on the weekend. And sure enough, Sunday night, another dance, another fight. I'm talking like some John Wayne, like all out brawls where, you know, chairs are flying and people are getting flipped over the bar and shit. It was awesome. It was awesome. So, so you, you couldn't get away with that stuff now. Definitely not. 
No, not not in today's world, but you could then, and it was super cool. So the shoe shine thing was my job for a while, and then uh, then um, one year I raised a I raised a steer for um, for 4H. I think it was 4H. Yeah, because I it was I wasn't old enough for FFA. It was 4H. I raised the steer, and uh, that was that was. That was bittersweet because it sucked getting up every morning. You'd have to go take care of it, and you'd have to brush it, and you'd have to wash it, and you'd have to blow dry it and comb its hair because you have to train its hair to look good. And you got to feed it, and you got to make sure it's good. And, you know, every morning and every evening for months and months and months. Um, and you kind of get used to it, you know. You, you get to be friends with it, um, and you get attached to it. And then comes the county fair. Uh, the county fair is a big deal in San Juan County. As a matter of fact, I think it's the oldest county fair in the in the United States, if I'm not mistaken. Oldest continuous county fair. Uh, but then you show your steer and and um, get judged, and and then you take it to the sale. So, um, it's first year showing it, and I did pretty good. Um, and I think I got reserve grand champion, which is second place, which is not bad. And then went to the sale. And sold it for like eighteen hundred bucks. I was like, "Holy shit, that's amazing!" I was like twelve years old, thirteen years old, and uh, yeah, so I had eighteen hundred bucks in the bank. Of course, you know that means that they take the cow and they kill it and butcher it and sell it to McDonald's or whatever. Um, but uh, the 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 you know being twelve years old with an eighteen hundred dollar check eased the pain of that, as you can imagine. So um, <laughs> so that was. That was another one of my jobs, and and then um, then I when I got my driver's license, I became a valet valet parker at the races, um, and uh, parked cars all the time, um, and that was all in the summer. I mean, you're probably asking why I didn't you know do those things when I was with my mom, but that's because it was it was uh, three months on, three months off, so my summers were always with my dad, and then I would go to school with my mom, and uh, you know like in uh, San Antonio, Texas went to school. Well, the town was actually called Elmendorf, went to school in Elmendorf, Texas and, and outside of Houston, Texas. And, and so, but I never, I never really had a job with my mom cause it was always during school and they didn't, I didn't have to work, uh, during school, but my dad made me get jobs when I was younger during the summertime. And then, uh, I think it was the summer of my eighth grade year. Um, my, we went to Disneyland, my mom, and my stepdad and I went to Disneyland, and that was fun. Um, but uh, we we were heading back. I think we were in Arizona, somewhere somewhere in Arizona, and we stopped for breakfast. And and uh, um, we were eat, yeah we were eating breakfast. And my mom my mom asked me something, and I I smarted off because I was a little smartass back then. I smarted off, and I that was it. That was the end of that. She said, well. That's enough of that, basically. She said, why don't you just go stay with your dad and go to school with your dad? So uh, starting ninth grade, I, I lived with my dad full time and uh, went to Bloomfield High School, home of the Bobcats. Go Bobcats. And uh, that's where I that's where I spent my real formative years of high school was was in Bloomfield. And uh, lots to talk about in regards to that. Now, I, I, I do have to do a little promotional plug here because um one of my neighbors here, uh, and a really dear friend of mine, um, Eric Unger, he grew up in a small town as well, about the same size 
as as uh, Bloomfield, another a different part of New Mexico. But um, we, like our schools actually played each other in the in the state quarterfinals of football one year. But uh, we both grew up in a small town and have a thousand different memories of of doing so. And on um, on the Juhu Roadshow. Um, our, our, our other podcast on January 12th, we're going to be doing a show, uh, based on, on spending, you know, on growing up in a small town and it's going to be absolutely hilarious. So, uh, I would encourage you to come over and, and subscribe to, to the Jew who road show on Patreon, uh, so that you can hear that, that show and all the other shows, but it's life in a small town is, is going to be the name of that episode, I believe. And that's January 12th. Um, we post those podcasts on Fridays. Um, and and just to reiterate, Patreon is a subscription-based podcast, which we do the more, you know, the more featured um, shows with guests and, and stuff. And that's where I kind of travel around the country and, and visit people and, and uh, do, do podcasts with them. But that week is going to be absolutely fantastic. If, if you, if you're from Bloomfield or Raton or Farmington or Aztec or any, or Trinidad or, or any place that, you know, those two, those two towns, or if you grew up in a small town at all, you do not want to miss that podcast. Or if you grew up in a big town and if you grew up in a city and you've ever wondered what it was like to grow up in a small town, you don't, you don't want to miss that podcast, uh, on the, on the Juhu Roadshow, uh, January 12th. Um, again, you could subscribe to that at patreon.com forward slash Juhu. But, uh, you know, Bloomfield is such a neat place to grow up. It's changed a lot. Um, and I'm sure I have as well. You know, you get older and you have some more perspective, but when you're young and you are living in a small town, you grew up in the country your entire life and you live in a small town, you get, you get so attached to people and, and that's your whole world. I mean, it's your whole world. Um, that little town, you know, I think Bloomfield had like three or 5,000. I mean, we only had, no, it's probably like six or 7,000, but we only had like 400 kids in the, in the entire school, in the entire high school. Um, but, uh, you just, you become so close with them and, and, you know, I know it's the same in a city, but small towns are just a little bit different. They just are, they've got a different feel to them and, um, the dynamics are different and your everyday life is different. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other kids that that were out in the rural, rural parts and, and they understood, you know, what it was like to have to get up and take care of horses every day before you went to school. Whereas, you know, you grow up in a city, you don't really understand that. Um, but, uh, I, it was just, you know, I, I appreciate Bloomfield now. Um, and I, you know, I miss it. I, it, it has changed a little bit. Um, uh, I feel really honored because they, they actually named a, a day after me there. Um, Justin Hunt day, um, in, in my town, they gave me a key to the city, which is a great honor. And that, that's kind of stuff is really neat. And it, it, it's nice. It reminds you where you came from. Um, but, uh, lots of little stories about growing up in Bloomfield and, um, we're going to be, we're going to be sharing those on the Juhu Roadshow on January 12th. So you don't want to miss that. But, um, so starting ninth grade year, man, it was, it was, it was, uh, staying at dad's house and going to, going to one place, which was new to me. I hadn't really done that in my entire life. I mean, I, I guess I did leading up to the time I was five and they got divorced, but from five to 14, it was back and forth all the time. And, and, and so having some, some stability and, and, you know, not having to start, uh, as the new kid every three months or, 
you know, not having to answer questions from your classmates like, oh, where are you going this time? And, and uh, well, hell, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going this time because um, I never knew where my mom was going to be. Um, it was it was nice to start a school year and finish a school year at the same place and go there the entire time and, you know, get involved and play sports. And, you know, I I I, I played football and I wrestled and I played baseball and I played summer baseball and it, it was it was cool. Um and I would I would go see my mom uh, in the summer times, but um, that that never lasted very long. And uh, there, I, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. But um, oh my goodness, we're already out of time. So we'll talk more about that in episode five um, about my time at Bloomfield High School, some of my memories from Bloomfield High School, some of the people from Bloomfield High School, and then summer times with my mom um, when we come when we come back in episode five. But uh, in the meantime. Uh, Thank you for joining me on the Jew Who Roadshow podcast. On Ramp is the is the name of this particular podcast, uh, and we welcome you from wherever you are. I hope these stories are are appealing to you, um, and I, I would invite you again to come over to Patreon for our exclusive uh, podcasts uh, with guests. And we've got some amazing guests that we've already we've already interviewed and that are coming up. Um, you know, Tim Cox, which is a, he's a world famous artist, uh, Matt Oliphant, also an artist, his brother of Tim Oliphant, um, from Justified and Deadwood. Um, who else have we talked to? Teresa Tapia, the widow of, of the former world champion, Johnny Tapia, uh, here Kitty Studios on the set of The Brave, NBC's new television show. I mean, such a wide range of people and we have so many cool shows still to come. Uh, so I don't want you to miss any of those. So come over and check out the Jew Who Road Show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash Jew Who. Uh, until then, that is going to do it for this episode of On Ramp. And I uh, appreciate you guys listening. Hope, uh, hope you're looking forward to some more stories because I sure am looking forward to telling them. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. And until next time, you guys have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>